Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. The key thing for us throughout this journey has been that integration. We've got a small team of 10 of us in the middle coordinating, but ultimately it's the people who buy the food, buy the clothing, run the logistics, run the shops, run the, the websites that are doing the hard yards of planning as part of their day job, and that's what's helped M&S be relatively successful so far. I won't overclaim for Marks and Spencer. I do believe we're amongst the leading companies and retailers in the world at tackling sustainability, in large part because we're driving this integration model, that we're getting every commercial category at Marks and Spencer, the, the men and women buying the flowers, running the lorries, buying the computers, running the shops, running the websites, getting them to see the sense of running their area of the business more sustainably. I'm very pleased today to introduce Mike Barry. Mike is Director of Sustainable Business at Marks and Spencer, where he oversees Plan A, the eco and ethical program which aims to make the company the world's most sustainable major retailer. Before that, Mike was head of sustainable business and part of the team that developed the initial Plan A program. Mike is also co-chair of the Sustainability Steering Group at the Consumer Goods Forum and Marks and Spencer recently published their Plan A report for 2016. So thank you very much, Mike, for taking the time today to speak to the Sustainability Agenda. It's a great privilege to speak to you and get your insights and experience with sustainability and Marks and Spencer's Plan A. Delighted to be with you today. It's been a journey. It's, what's it, nine years now since Plan A first got off the ground. You were involved right from the beginning. Yeah, I've been part of the the team that put it together, and I think I think that word team is so very very important that the planet context. So many good people have contributed to it over the years. Uh, the initial launch back in 2007, but the subsequent updates in 2010, 2014, and you know the key thing for us throughout this journey has been that integration. And we've got a small team of ten of us in the middle coordinating. But ultimately, it's the people who buy the food, buy the clothing, run the logistics, run the shops, run the, the websites that are doing the hard yards of planning as part of their day job. And that's what's helped M&S to be relatively successful so far. Your 2016 report, you know, published just uh, a little while ago, seems to be a, a great success. You've hit so many targets over that time. I mean, the report's crucial, and we've really focused over the last few years at getting it spot on. It gives us the credibility of being able to say we've set out to do these things, we've done them, so there can be no accusations of greenwash, very open and transparent, many things we succeed at, one or two that we we might miss on. But crucially, it is the the tip of the iceberg of the invisible thing that you never see, which is the management system within Mark & Spencer that tracks everything we're doing not just in terms of performance, energy use, wood use, fish use, etc., but the benefits that accrue to Marks and Spencer from doing these things. So it measures how much we spend and invest to deliver a sustainable outcomes, the benefits that accrue to the organization, and therefore we can measure and report a business case. So it's got tremendous benefit externally in terms of integrity and trust, tremendous benefits in terms of management control and a big program uh, and capturing the business case. Well, it's it's very interesting you say that because there does seem to be still a lingering whiff of suspicion in some quarters, you know, that there's a cost to sustainability in the sense that there must be a trade-off and that it's often associated maybe with lower performance or maybe a greater cost or something like that. But there does seem to be an increasing body of research and evidence, really, that there's a very strong business case for sustainability. 
Oh, the business case is crucial. And I think we, we've, we've always sort of talked about the business case as, as four or five things. Clearly, there is a, a customer trust element in a, in a marketplace where trust is at a premium, um, never more so than at the moment. To be a trusted brand in that marketplace is vital. Second, in terms of the purpose for our people, driving and motivating them through an awful lot of change at M&S to work for a business with a heart, soul and a passion. Thirdly, then, the, what we've just been talking about, a lean business. Every time you stop waste, you stop water use, packaging use, you save yourself money. It makes good business sense as well as being good for the environment. Fourthly, it's about resilience in supply chains and operations, making sure that you're prepared for more extreme weather events, uh, any social upheaval, making, making sure that you have access to raw materials in the future to produce great products. And then fifthly, preparing and anticipating what new business models might look like in the future and making sure that you're not blindsided by um, new entries and disruption into the marketplace. So the, the business case is vital. It's both prosaic, measured in many hundreds of millions of pounds worth of short-term benefit, but also strategic, um, there to give M&S a position and relevance in what we think will be a very different marketplace in the 2020s. Yes, this is uh, something that I think one can't get away from, is the rapid pace of change. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's been like lightning. And even though it's, this, this is still called Plan A and it's got a bedrock, nine years on from where it started with, the issues we're dealing with have changed immensely. I mean, just one example this year has been human rights. We've done a huge amount on social compliance over the last decade to make sure that the two million people in our factory, factories and farms around the world, suppliers are treated well, making sure there's no abuses except out, out there. Even though we're not perfect, we work very hard on it. But over the last couple of years, people at Oxfam have held up a mirror to us and said, come on, m and should be more ambitious than just ensuring that bad things don't happen. Where's your ambition to really help people and help improve people's lives? So we've launched something called a global community program um, that's helping in supply chains with many different projects around the world. That's great on issues like well-being, on water, communities. But still, we said this year we needed to do more. And we've launched our first human rights report this year that talks about the totality of m commitment to people its customers, its own employees, people in the supply chain, and what we're doing to help them reach their potential. So again, whereas 10 years ago we were working on stopping risks from happening, now we're talking about how do we help positive things to happen and people reach their potential. Right, right. That's a very broad-ranging and deep commitment. I mean, you talked about earlier, you mentioned this question of integrating the sustainability. And I'm just wondering, can you talk a little bit about the journey you've been on in M&S? And I know that sustainability began in many cases in a more CSR, you know, maybe reputation management, philanthropic kind of dimension for for, for many businesses and has over time for, for leading businesses become more integrated into the business itself. And I'm just wondering, you know, are there a few points on the journey that you could highlight and give me a sense of what that looks like? Like today in MS? Sure. I mean, the, the, the integration, the systemic integration of it, that sustainability is absolutely crucial. So, what our customers are saying to us is we don't want to buy into a Mark and Spencer brand that has value sometimes and other times not. You can't turn around me and tell me you've got an ethical range in one corner of the shop and there's everything else. So, what we've driven with integration, let me just tell you two stories. One is how we've used Plan A attributes to ensure that every Mark and Spencer product has got a good Plan A story to tell. So we sell about 3 billion items a year, an item being a a bottle of wine, a bunch of flowers, a pair of socks. We want to ensure that by 2020, every single one of those um, products has a good, strong Plan A story to tell. We're currently at 73%. Again, we're recording and tracking even the Plan A report to make sure we're transparent. So that whatever product our customer puts in the basket in 2020, they can be reassured that we're a brand that cares across everything we do. So every factory, every farm, every shop, every lorry is on the journey to improve, not just a niche ethical innovation corner, everything. 
And the second example of, of, of systemic integration is just from our food supply chain, where 93% of all MS food is now produced in factories that's on a defined sustainability ladder. Bronze, silver, gold, you, you start as a beginner, you progress steadily up that ladder, meeting ever higher social and environmental standards. Not just better for plants and people, but better for your business as a supplier and for us. You're leaner, you're more efficient, you get more motivated people. And again, it's across everything we sell, not a niche range. So again, all the time driving integration, ensuring that every product, factory, farm, store is part of the planet journey. Right. And and presumably it's not some central budget. I mean, you talked about a central team, but this sustainability objectives are to be integrated in, across the business by managers. Yes. And every business unit has its own people, its own budget for integrating planners part of the day job. Many of other business areas see business benefit from doing it. They're saving on their energy bill, their waste bill, the packaging bill, logistics bill, the manufacturing bill. Everybody's seeing short-term benefit. They're seeing more resilient supply chains. We're not having to hold a gun to anybody's head and say, you must do this, doing it for good, logical business reasons. We in the centre hold a very small innovation budget then that makes sure that on things that are still too commercially risky for the business to do, we're stretching the business. We're looking out and anticipating very real significant shifts over the next decade. And then as they become a little bit nearer to the marketplace, we hand them across to the business unit. They take ownership of it and we go out looking for the next big trend. Right, right. What is the benefit of integrating sustainability like that? What's the difference between it being a little bit integrated, shall we say, and, and on a journey to, you know, complete integration? There's, there's a massive difference when it comes to the word integration. And, you know, I, I won't overclaim for Mark and Spencer. I do believe we're amongst the leading companies and retailers in the world at tackling sustainability, in large part because we're driving this integration model, that we're getting every commercial category at Mark and Spencer, the, the the, the men and women buying the flowers, running the lorries, buying the computers, running the shops, running the websites, getting them to see the sense of running their area of the business more sustainably. And again, not doing it just because there is a standard that says so in the middle, and a very ambitious chief exec in the middle saying we must do this, doing it because it makes sense to them. And again, we're only going to scale sustainability across the marketplace beyond the few dozen relative business leaders out there today to many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies, if there's a clear business logic for doing it, you're a better business from doing it. If you don't do it, you won't succeed. And this integration model, to me, is at the heart of achieving scale. And that is the single most important word when it comes to sustainability in 2016. How do we get thousands of participants, tens of thousands of participants, not just a few of the usual suspects winning some nice awards, but doing it in one corner of the marketplace? Right, that's interesting. What's the connection between scale and integration? So scale will only come from integration. Unless you can get everybody applying sustainability principles to everything they do in a business, you'll always have 10 people in the middle running around trying to put a sticking plaster on everything. And in a big, busy business like Mark and Spencer, 10 people can only go so far. So you need to be in every nook and cranny of the business. And even if you only visit a commercial category once a year to check on what they're doing, you need to be confident the other 364 days of the year they're doing the doing. So if we, and we're not going to get to scale without integration and without this business case that said it's more than just a standard or a regulation or law that says thou must do. You can see as an individual business leader, an individual business unit, the value to you of delivering better outcomes for you and, you and your customer from doing sustainability. So integration leads to scale, and scale is what we need given the scale of the environmental and social challenges that we face.
Right, right. That's very interesting. And what have you learned about integration? Because as you mentioned, you know, you are a pioneer and many companies, you know, aren't doing as much in terms of integrating. And it, it does seem to be a challenge for some companies. So at the heart of, of integration is, is firstly to set common goals across the organization, not just set them from the center. If I go back 10 years to when Plan A was first invented, it was co-created by many people across the organization. The food team, the clothing team, the property team, the retail team were all represented in the room when we came out with some bold, tough goals. They didn't feel done and to. They felt part of the decision-making that came up with the goals. The second thing for integration is leadership from the top. I've been very privileged to work with for three fantastic chief execs in this space. Lord Stuart Rose, Mark Bolland, and now Steve Rowe have all said unequivocally, this is what Mark and Spencer stands for. Whatever change and challenge we might have in the marketplace, I absolutely believe in do, doing business in this way. The third thing we've spoken about is the business case. Again, we've, we've mentioned that already. It has to make clear business logic to get integration. The fourth part of, of, of driving integration scale is partnership. Realistically, you know, Mark and Spencer, 10 billion turnover is a small fraction of the UK economy, let alone global economy. We need to work with the Walmarts and the Tesco's and the Coca-Cola's and the Pepsi's and the Unilever and the um, Nestle's to drive the scale that will drive the acceptance of common good practice across the world's supply chains. So if Marks and Spencer is only buying 5% of a factory's output, but Walmart buys another 20% and Nestle another 30%, together we drive a good common outcome by working with that supplier in common rather individually. So again, it's about driving that partnership and making sure that everybody does it at the same time as well. So several aspects to driving integration. And I guess, I guess the final bit is a very human dimension, which is making sure that the individual people in our business units who lead sustainability um, in foods, in clothing, property, get the recognition and the support for the good work they do. It's not just the central plan A team. It's about them being rewarded and recognized for their personal leadership uh, and not just the central team. So again, these dimensions of partnership, of scale, of leadership from the top of the business case all contribute to achieving a successful integration outcome. Right. That's very interesting. And I, I guess measurability is very important. You talked about that. What about the reward side of things, you know, rewarding people for achieving sustainability? You know, how challenging has that been and uh, what have you learned? Well, reward comes in, in, in several different levels for people. There, there is a human and emotional reward of, of personal recognition for a job well done. And again, I think we've got some of the most prominent actors and thinkers on sustainable business within the M&S family. You know, people like Manish Natter in our property team, Louise Nichols in our food team, Phil Townsend and Fiona Sadler across in our clothing team, doing absolutely fantastic work at the coalface. They have a dotted line into the central plan A team, but a solid line into their director that runs their business area there. And they get the recognition for the great work that they do. Something a little bit more formal then, we have a, you know, M&S, Pride of M&S Awards every year where we recognize not just the people in the office, but the people out there at the coalface and the shops and the communities all right across the UK that's doing the hard yards to support communities, uh, tackle unemployment in their community, volunteer in their community to make a difference as well. So we reward and recognize like that as well. And then M&S is a very innovative company. It's one of our core brand values. We ensure that the people who prosper in the business of those that innovate and think differently, stretch the business, look at creating value for our customers, but doing so in an ethical and responsible way. So reward and recognition for the planet journey is very important to us and happens at lots of different levels. And I guess there's a lot of talk now about this idea of materiality, tailoring the sustainability agenda to, the, I guess, the questions that matter for, for a business. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and, and materiality is a very important word, and I think it's matured a little bit. So I, I would say now that Marks and Spencer is tackling every substantial social and environmental issue that it faces. So many people have come to me and you know challenged me to do a little bit more on Plan A, but no one's come and said you've missed an issue. So materiality to a degree disappears there. It becomes, um, of course, we're dealing with everything. Where materiality becomes important is focus. So what we're saying is there are certain areas of such significant M&S um, priority that we will absolutely take a lead at driving change there. So Mark and Spencer will be at the forefront, of the, the cutting edge of change when it comes to food manufacture, about farming, clothing manufacturing. These are absolutely core to our business model. There's some other things that are a little bit more distant from us. So you think of commodity production, the world of palm oil. M&S is playing as big a role as many retailers in the world on, on, on palm oil, but we use 2,000 tons in several hundred different products. It's several orders of magnitude less than some of the world's big man, brand manufacturing brands. So we would not ever seek to do as much as Unilever on palm oil. The world class, they're leading the way on it. But for them, it's absolutely um, existential to their margarine and spreads business. They use millions of tons of palm oil, and it makes sense for them to lead globally. It makes sense for us to be a fast follower. So again, you've got to pick your battles. You've got to have a, of course, we have a position on palm oil or a palm oil like a sustainable source, but we won't necessarily be at the bleeding edge of it. But when it comes to food, farming and manufacturing, we will be. Right. Are these difficult decisions to make? I mean, there seem to be a limitless number of factors to take into account ESG. They're endless. Are there hard decisions? Yes and no. So again, we listen very closely, engage very hard with our stakeholders out there. So we're constantly calibrating and listening to their expectation of us. We're constantly talking to them about the benefits of m leading on a particular issue or not. So I think we're very transparent and open about where we absolutely lead and where we're a fast follower. They're very clear that m is never at the back of the pack. That's not our brand position. We're always at least um, in that fast follower category. But the Understand that across our, you know, the hundreds, 150 things that we've been doing over the years with Plan A, you can't possibly work, be world class in every single one of them. There lies madness. So I think we have a very good conversation with our stakeholders about materiality, where MS will focus, and even on things like Palmer, where MS is not going to necessarily be the absolute world leader in terms of delivery. We've been at the forefront of organizing the Consumer Goods Forum and its many different food and drink retailers and manufacturers to work together drive sustainability, including uh, action on palm oil, deforestation, food waste, low carbon refrigeration, and now tackling forced labor and supply chains. So again, there's many different ways of being a leader. You can convene and bring people together, get them to work better together across the marketplace, as well as doing it in your own supply chain and your own products. Right, right. Very interesting. And brings up uh, the difficult decisions. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some decisions are maybe easier, you know, you can see the, the benefits straight away for the business and the environmental impact. Other decisions are more challenging. Can you talk a little bit about some that the kind of decisions which, which are difficult, where maybe you're trying to prioritize other dimensions or other criteria in the business at the same time, sustainability, and there may be a tension there? Yeah, so prioritisation is very important. So if you look at some of like that energy efficiency, very clear payback. You know, MLS has taken £22 million off its electricity bill over the last uh, few years, so saving a lot of money, absolutely clear payback, fantastic. Investing into sustainable cotton is, is different because the, the customer rightly has turned around and said, we're not playing a green premium for, for better products. If you need to sort out your sourcing MLS or any other business in the world, that's up to you to sort out. Don't, sort out, don't charge me. Uh, more for that privilege. 
So if more consent has to go out and work on its cotton supply chain, which we are, 43% of the cotton we now use is from a sustainable source, um, and that will double over the next few years. If we're going to get to a very good place in cotton, you have to, have to invest some time and effort to get there. What we've decided to do is that is best done in partnership. In our case, we've got the cotton initiatives, so the people who work with the Soil Association on organic fair trade movement on fair trade, all valid routes to more sustainable cotton. So again, we've decided that we have to invest time and effort to get our cotton made better to better standards. We can't pay for it in terms of passing the cost on to the consumer. Therefore, we will work in partnership with others to get to the right the right place. So that's just an example of how your decision-making goes, uh, process goes to get to the right outcome. But within the overall round of plan A, we make a significant business case. Some commitments will save you an awful lot of money. Some will require you to invest a bit as well. But we look at plan A in the round, not just individual commitments. Right, right. Very interesting. Now, you mentioned the pioneering work you're doing in supply chain transparency. And I'm interested in the whole question of innovation and, I suppose, failure, because they are linked together, I suppose, in the sense that you've got to be willing to have some failure if if you are innovating. Can you talk a little bit about becoming transparent and providing information about your supply chain is seen by some companies as commercially risky? How has that been for you? And how do you manage, given the fact that you're often at the, the forefront, taking initiatives? in new areas, weighing up the risks involved? Well, let me give you a couple of examples of risk-taking. I mean, first, in terms of driving change in our factories and our stores, what we're very good at over the years is is finding two or three eco-stores and two or three eco-factories in our supply chain and putting all the innovations possible into that that store or factory. And what you find very rapidly within six months is a third of things work brilliantly, roll that out to all the other stores and factories around. A third need a bit of time to jiggle around. You you work with them to improve them over a year or two before you roll out. And the third fail quickly. They're just not right. They look good in paper, but it will never see the light of day. They don't go out to the other stores and other factories. So compressing all your learning into these learning stores and factories has been very, very valuable for us. It's made a real difference um, in terms of what we do. The point about transparency and supply chain is an interesting one because, you know, we've been looking at that for several years. We've looked at several different tools to, to bring transparency to the supply chain. Probably some of them were there a little bit too early, were a little bit overly complicated. We need something quite simple um, with the supply chain of many thousands of factories. And this year we put, a, for the first time, our factory maps um, up on the website saying these are the factories of food and clothing that MS uses around the world. Um, very good response to that level of transparency. Of, of course, there's a degree of nervousness always that you get away with a bit of your commercial trade secrets. But I think in the 21st century, most of our competitors would be able to work out where MS sourced from if they really wanted to. So let's just get on the front foot and be, be transparent. A number of other good businesses have done it. Nike have done it. H&M have done it. Uh, I think we're the first to declare our food factories around the world, which is a, is a, is a real innovation and real lead. Um, but there'll be very much more of it in the future. And, you know, where we've, we've started the journey, we're clear there's very much more to come. Great work. What about the investor's perspective? And, you know, a key part of the sustainability agenda is investors and their awareness and I suppose their attention they're paying to these factors. What about when growth is maybe slower than expected? Are there voices out there? What kind of support do you get from investors or how do you think investors are looking at that? I mean, clearly, if companies are firing ahead and everything, you know, revenues are doing very well and profits and and sustainability, but maybe in, in more inclement conditions, are there hard questions asked? 
So, you know, investors are interesting. They're very, very important to us. They give us the capital to, to invest into the business and help grow it and run it. So, you know, the shareholders, there is no more important stakeholder to us. And I think shareholders have always been broadly supportive of Plan A. They've seen the short-term business benefits of cutting out cost base, the, the, the hundreds of millions we've saved to invest back into the growth of the business through being more eco-efficient. That's been fantastic. They've seen the value of Marks and Spencer being ethically removed from scandals like Rana Plan and horse meat, which M&S was nowhere near. They can see the value of us being a trusted brand in, in a marketplace, say, that uh, are trusted sometimes as a premium, or increasingly as a premium. So I think shareholders are interested and supportive of what they do. I don't think they are yet passionate collectively across the piece about it. But I think the whole discussion now about stranded assets and risk to businesses uh, systemically from being in the wrong place and climate change and growing interest, and also marketplace disruption. Again, we, we all use the story of Elon Musk and the, the Tesla car and how it's disrupting the automobile industry. It's been aware that that level of disruption might come into any of our marketplaces in the next decade, driven in large part by sustainability concerns about resource and trust and customer benefits that will, will accrue from doing things in the right way and making sure that you're not left behind and leaving your um, shareholders with burnt fingers because you didn't anticipate those marketplace shifts. So shareholders are very important to us. And again, I think they like and respect the fact that MS is very transparent about its, its performance, what it's working on, how it's getting on. Uh, and we'll sit down with shareholders again really frequently through the year to discuss in greater detail what they're interested in, what they want us to be doing and where we're seeing benefit. Excellent. That's really fascinating. And there's much more we could talk about, I'm sure. But just finally, I'd like to ask you, what's next for Plan A? So, I mean, what, what's next for Plan A is, is more of the same. So we said at the start of the Plan A, it's a five-stage journey. Firstly, reduce the our social environmental footprint. That's, that's less waste, less packaging, less water, better wood, better fish, better cotton. We were doing that 10 years ago. We'll be doing it in 10 years' time. You can't stop ever improving in terms of your, your basic footprint. The second phase was the integration. We, we spent quite a bit of time discussing, making sure that our business uh, units owned it at least as much as those in the central team, and that they do, which is good. But again, we need to do more. We need to keep pushing that um, agenda forward. The third then is engagement of customer and uh, our wider colleague base, 83,000 people that work alongside us, and ensuring that they fully understand the need for change, that we can change by changing. We can make things better for them personally, as customers, employees of M&S. Um, and we're, well, we're stuck well into that. We've um, our sports card used by four million M&S customers now rewards you uh, a charity of your choice with a penny every time you transact with M&S. Um, we've been swapping for many years and bringing people to return. They use clothing for us to donate to Oxfam to raise money. So that engagement phase we're well into, but many years of that that lies ahead of us. The fourth phase is about building partnerships to change the wider economy beyond the little old M&S. And again, through the Consumer Goods Forum that we've been, and others, we've been working very hard to drive those partnerships. And then fifth is anticipating these um, new sustainable business models, low carbon, circular, restorative, committed to quality, well-being and fairness, and making sure that M&S is ready uh, with a customer proposition as those break onto the marketplace. Um, so those are the five phases of Plan A, all are being done uh, to grow to a lesser extent at this moment in time. And, you know, we've done three, three versions of Plan A so far. I'm sure my successor will be doing four, five, six, and seven well into the future. It's a long, long journey to build a truly sustainable business. Well, it's uh, been a great honor to talk to you today, Mike, and very exciting to hear the great work and achievements of Plan A and, and looking forward as well. So thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak to the sustainability agenda today. Very great pleasure to talk. Thank you. Very good.
Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.